1: Everyone, welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. A special episode in some regards because we are coming at you in a different day and time than uh, than normal Monday evening uh, for this week. And really, we, my my co-host John Sheeran and I, we both uh, we'll 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 divulge the secret. We're both going on vacation this week, and uh, we said, you know, maybe we'll we'll take the week off, and we don't need a show. And then we kind of said, well, let's do a short one, you know, just to, because we love you guys. We got to, we got to give you, we got to give the listeners what they want. Um, So we tried to get, we tried to get something going, a, a small show, that sort of thing. Maybe just kind of keep it light. And then of course, Monday morning, big news occurs. And we will be talking about that with Clint Bowling, of course, along with potential breakout players. We may even open up the phone lines, time permitting at the end of the program, if we are able, but We've got a lot to talk about in a short period of time. I'm Anthony Cazenza. As I mentioned, this is the Orange and Black Insider. He's John Sheeran. John, how's it going today, bud? It's going great. I spent the entire day
2: moving into a new room in my house, and because of that, I am now able to introduce all of our listeners, specifically on the YouTube feed, to my good friend, Randall, back there. Randall is a skeleton. He has one limb, his right arm, and he's been living in our house for two years. And honestly, I thought he would be perfect to put in the backdrop because he is the perfect representation of me through about seven weeks of any Bengals season. Just (laughs) completely dead. He doesn't talk, but his mouth is always open. He's always shocked at anything that the Bengals do because they're just crazy. And uh, yeah, he's going to be my partner in crime here in Sheeran Studios here in, in Clifton, Ohio. So,
1: w- w- welcome Randall, Randall. Randall to the show, and he's got a busy episode to catch up on right here. Yeah. So, Randall's Randall's trial by fire. He looks like he maybe have been has been too close to some fires, but uh, <laughs> uh, he's it, that's it's an, a very good way to put it in terms of how you look. Maybe seven weeks into a Bengals season, you're missing limbs. You've got a you've got the glasses on because you can't believe what you're seeing. Yet you got the Bengals on the mind. I like it, John. And and welcome, Randall. Uh, we love you, buddy. Or you're you're part of the crew now. So, um, if Randall disappears, should we? Do we need to be concerned if he randomly just isn't in the background on some episodes? Yeah, he might have moved on to another podcast. And that, <laughs> would, that obviously wouldn't be good. So, well, I'll I'll, I'll I'll try to keep him reeled in here. Awesome. Well, let's let's kind of just go right at it. Uh, We will, we're going to talk about this Clint Bowling retirement thing from a couple of different angles. I guess the first being, and the most obvious is, are you, are you, uh, are you surprised? You know, is this, is this something that surprises you? I mean, I guess there's the cynical point of view that says, well, of course, you know, he's, but he hasn't practiced all, all year and it's the Bengals. They already lost Jonah Williams. So of course they're going to lose this guy. But there's also kind of the deal. Well, maybe he we we kind of thought maybe he's just resting during these practices that don't really matter, and then he's going to come back when it matters and help this offensive line. Regardless, he's retiring. Real quick before I get to your thoughts, John. Congratulations on a good career to Clint Bowling because I think uh, you know yes. eight years, solid player, never a star in the league, but a solid player, and uh, obviously playing an unsung position, moved around on the offensive line. So congratulations to Clint Bowling. But were you surprised at this announcement and when it came? Uh, No, not necessarily. I think the only
2: real news here was what the injury actually was. And for any other average 30-year-old male, a blood clot is a very serious issue. But when we think about football players, they think, oh, they can just walk back. But no, blood clot is a very serious issue. And I think he said it himself. When you're playing a sport, when you're ramming into people 75 times a game, it's probably not the best environment for a condition like that. So first and foremost, here's to him having a happy and healthy retirement. He's a husband. He's a father. By all all accounts, he's a great man. Um, But no, like I I think this was – like you said, at at first we kind of thought that this could be a situation where he's dealing with a minor injury. There's no reason to brush him down into OTAs to potentially make the situation worse. Then it just kind of dragged on, and you know Jonah was out, and there was movement on the on the offensive line. You're thinking, okay, if he's not back by now, it might be a little bit more serious. And then there was that rumblings about him just being done, and we just weren't sure what type of injury that was because, by all accounts, like he was slightly regressing last season, but ultimately it didn't look like he was playing hurt by, it, by any means. It was just him naturally aging. But he said he just discovered that issue right after the season ended or right towards the end of the season, so he's been dealing with it. For, dealing with it for seven months and had had surgery on it and recovering about it. And if he just couldn't go, then he couldn't go. And there was no reason why the Bengals would keep him on the roster if he wasn't himself comfortable playing. So kudos to him for realizing the severity of the issue, taking action from it and not making it any worse than it already is. But yeah, I I think as soon as enough time passed where he just wasn't um, out there and there wasn't any official word coming from the team, you had to think it was more serious than, than it and originally we, we thought it was, and the, the kind of longer it went on, it was just a matter of when, not if, he, he gets cut or, or retired. In this case, it was the
1: latter. Do you think that the Bengals had, and Zach Taylor jumping into this kind of, it's now becoming a trial by fire for him all of a sudden, but do you think that the Bengals had a, a good sense of, as to what was going on with him throughout the spring. And I say that because they drafted Michael Jordan, they bring in John Jerry, they bring in John. Now John Miller is, is going to set to be the right guard, but they bring in this, these slew of guards, right? Yeah. Uh, They bring back Trey Hopkins. They bring back Alex Redman. Do you think that all of a sudden now you go, okay, that's why, that's why they did that. Or is that just simply, stockpiling an offensive line that needs as much help as it can get?
2: I think it can be both because they re-signed Bobby Hart, they draft Jonah Williams, like you said, they signed John Miller, they brought back Alex Redman, all these bodies coming in. At at one point they had, when we assumed that Clint Bowling was going to be healthy, like 16 or 15 guys in training camp. And you're thinking, okay, the offensive line was a weakness, but now this is just hoarding bodies to a point where, you know, some of these guys are just not being able, able to get significant practice reps. So, yeah, I think, you know, with how how these moves are made, the timeline of well, when these moves were made, and the timeline of when Bowling first discovered this issue, I think they had a pretty good idea right around. I guess when Zach Taylor was hired, and when he was filling out his coaching staff, and when he brought in Jim Turner, and then Jim Turner obviously had influence in bringing in guys on the offensive line. So I think they did have a good sense that this, this could be a potentially serious issue. We need to have contingency plans, and obviously, the you know the the. Trey Hopkins is another guy that they brought back and obviously like Christian Westerman specifically at the left guard spot. So those two guys were already on, on the roster, already on the team able to make a potential contribution at that position. So I I, I do think it was a little bit of of both where this was obviously still a unit that was was pretty bad compared to the rest of the league needs as much help as possible. But this, this is potentially losing your, your long-term starter, your one staple at the position that has seen no controversy over the better portion of a decade and has had one of the most underrated players in, in the NFL, and will, will probably go down in my mind as one of the better offensive linemen in, in recent Bengals history, if not all of Bengals history. So when you're dealing with, with a situation that dire, I think you just got to take all measures into account. That's exactly what they did.
1: Yeah, for Clint Bowling, I mean, you go back to his draft, it, really his career in college, and he rarely is a guy that you draft, especially in the fourth round, rarely is a guy – Come out, then you get him, and he comes as advertised. In college, he played a number of spots on the offensive line. He did the same again, largely left guard with the Bengals. Uh, you know that that's not in dispute. But when they asked him to go kick out to tackle, he did it. When he moved, you know, he's moved around a lot. And uh, I think I think it was 112 career starts that he had for the team um, around the offensive line. Really started to latch on as the true starter at left guard in the 2012 season suited up for three of those five playoff games so um, you know in that run of the five straight there so uh, kudos to him on a, on a good career and he will be missed but you kind of said this in a in a tweet and I, I this is kind of the a little bit of a debate that'll ensue between you and I I guess but you said this on Twitter you said this before we took the air here there may be, a pause po- a more positive spin on this than the doom and gloom that came with with jonah williams especially and and his missing of the 2019 season now unfortunately when it, i think it's been what like three or four weeks in, in a matter of three or four weeks the bengals lose two of their top offensive linemen and not not only for the year but for good with bowling and you kind of you know you sit here and what do they do next uh but you kind of had a little bit more of a positive spin. On uh, on this news, and I'd, I think not only myself but our listeners would like to hear kind of your approach on that. Yeah, and when we first discussed, you know, the
2: the, the possibility of Bowling not being retired but being a cap casualty was what the implications long term wise would be for that. And my whole thing was that if you if you're confident that Christian Westerman is some type of guard that you're comfortable with starting, and he's got one year left on this deal. And you benched him for three years. You only played him 183 snaps, and you know from what we could tell, his relationship with the past coaching staff wasn't very strong. And they didn't really trust the play in games. So you're, you got to think that this could be potentially another Evan Mathis situation. And the only way to solve that solution right now is to give him the chance to start and to start him for a year. So then you can you know have the relationship back in good faith, where you can potentially extend him to some some type of long term extension, especially for cheap because he would only start a year. And that would only happen if you basically got Clint Bowling out of the picture because you're going to start John Miller right guard. You're going to start Billy Price at center. Left guard is basically the only potential spot that would open up. And again, you are originally talking about that as a cap casualty for Bowling, but now that Bowling is officially out of the picture, you have zero excuse to not see what Christian Westerman is worth at that position. His only competition is John Jerry, who was retired for last year, and then Trey Hopkins, who you would hopefully like to keep on the bench as that versatile backup at all three spots. So I think long-term, if you give Westerman a year to start, basically go through the ups and downs of, of what comes with that territory, and then are comfortable with going for him long term in the next three or four years with some type of an extension, I think this can be very good and look as a positive. Whereas if you have Quimbolein starting at left guard, you had Westerman on the bench at, at, you know, at left guard and right guard, and you potentially lose him to another team, he does, he does very well. Again, like in Evan Matson situation. And then you, you know, Bowling becomes a free agent. You don't want to really pay him for another contract because he's going to be 31 years old at the time. Then you're stuck looking at, you know, another hole on the offensive line, trying to find another body to fill that position. So I think if, if there is a positive, that is the positive here. And it only works out if Christian Westerman is the type of player that we think he is. And if, if it works out, great. And if it doesn't, I guess you're back to where you would be if
1: you had started Clint Boney left guard and bench Christian Westerman. So I agree. And I disagree with you. Uh, I agree with the fact that there is some good to come out of it in the form of, Hey, he may he may never, I mean, and obviously based on what the diagnosis was, he, he may never have been healthy. So then you're sitting there kind of waiting for him to, you know, come into the lineup and play. And you're relying on a guy that really, you know, never, it never happens for them. And, uh, you know, you're, you're behind the eight ball, so to speak. And so I guess from – to kind of speak to the obvious point, I mean, it's, it's better to know now, I suppose, than, than further down the line and be relying on him. And now you can kind of try some guys out. But I, I, I just look at – I look at this as a, a – there, there are parts of it that say it's a bigger blow than losing Jonah Williams to me, and there are parts of it that that are kind of on par with it. I mean, obviously a left tackle and losing your first round pick, your you're basically a top ten pick in his rookie year is devastating. But and and if you compare losing a left and you have a left tackle on um, the roster, so that's a plus in terms of Cordy Glenn, so you can sh- potentially shuffle him over. Left guard, not as big of a premium position. I get all of that, but I, I guess I look at the leadership factor. I look at the versatility factor. I look at all of the things that Clint Bowling br- brought to the Bengals, and in a in such a critical year where you know the Bengals are trying to bridge the the, the transition into a possible you know p- playoff type of season as unlikely as it may be for some folks to grasp, but he would be a guy that you would think, you know, a young first time head coach coming in and he needs this core group of players to, to really say, look, you know, we're all kind of in this boat together. We're all kind of, uh, a lot of us are trying to get our feet under us trying to you know get this thing off and running instead of getting off to a slow start that sort of thing and usually you hear stories about coaches latching on to some of those veterans some of those locker room leaders quote unquote that bowling seemed to uh, he was a captain last year i mean he had he had right. the see i mean so you lose a guy like that it's not just really the on-field talent it's just kind of the Uh, you know, uh, you kind of kick out a a leg from under Zach Taylor, so to speak, um, as he's trying to get what he's building and and create this thing. So to me, that's where this really hurts. And I guess if you want to talk about the on-field stuff, there's really the, like I said, the versatility factor is just, it, it can't be understated where, you know, if, the Bengals were to suffer, and if Cordy Glenn were to miss a couple of games, you know, technically, Clint Bowling could slide over to left tackle. You know, he could fill in at right tackle if Bobby Hart struggles or gets hurt. You know, there's just – he's he was just kind of a catch-all, safety net type of player, a very steady player, as we've mentioned, and to, and to lose that, I, I think the most – unhappy guy about this news today may not be Clint Bowling. It may be Zach Taylor. Um, that makes that, that makes a lot of sense
2: because um, it, say, say the starting five is Glenn, Westerman, Price, Miller, Hart. Glenn is by far the oldest of that group, and he's not even 30 years old until like week two of the season. Like Westerman's 26, Price is 24. Miller, I think, is 25 or 26. Hart is still pretty young for being five years in the league, 24 or 25 years old. So that's – there's experience with those guys, but the H factor is still very young, and it becomes, I think, one of the youngest offensive lines in the league. Bowling was the, the oldest of that group, and has been. As a member, of this offense has been with them since Andy Dalton and AJ Green first came into the league, and yeah, l- losing that veteran presence is definitely dev- potentially devastating. And you know, f- from that intangible standpoint, I I do agree with you with, with that, but I think very rarely do the Penguins kind of luck into these situations, but. I think it's fair to say that we've seen the best of bowling as, as a player. And even if he was healthy, I think he would have been getting worse before he was going to reach another sort of peak, if you will. I think we saw the best of him towards the, the latter years of those of those playoff runs. And you're still kind of holding it together through 2016, 2017. But God, I, I can't even imagine how draining it was to be a part of those offensive lines from 2016, to 2017, and how he was literally just, doing anything that he could to, to keep it afloat. I remember just watching, re-watching those, those games and that tape and just thinking Bowling's doing his job. The other four guys are just not and how mentally draining that was on him. Maybe even physically draining. He was just asked to do a lot more. So maybe had the offensive line not fallen apart so drastically towards the end of Bowling's career, maybe we still would have seen better effectiveness out of him in these last couple of years. But I do think that we were starting to see the beginning of the, decline for Bowling, and unfortunately,
1: sometimes it's better to get off the train uh, earlier than later. Here's here's food for thought, based on what you were just saying there, John. There was a point in Clint Bowling's career where, on the offensive line, he was sandwiched by Russell Bodine and Cedric Abuehi. Uh hell. <laughs> so Absolute hell. Uh, I mean, think about that for a second, and think about how few times his name was called for for mistakes and all that kind of stuff and, and how much worse would those two players have been how, how much more would they have, their mistakes have been spotlighted had Clint yeah. Bowling not been there to potentially you know help double team guys help out with the call assignments all that kind of stuff uh so I mean I think from that aspect you look at his career you look at what he has done for the for the Bengals and like you said when that and that line kind of fell apart, and that's where he was. <laughs> that's where he was stationed, and who he was stationed next to. Oh boy, uh, we've got some before we kind of transition topics here. We've got quite a few comments and questions that are very uh, poignant and entertaining in the live YouTube chat. One is uh, just to give give us a little laugh. That's not really bowling. Centered, I guess, but <laughs> Sam, Sam Turner the second says, I figured Randall, uh, your, your, your boy behind you there, John, represents our offensive line skeleton crew. <laughs> I thought that was a good it, one. It represents Andy Dolan by like week four, yeah. Christopher Higdon, Glenn at left tackle, Westerman at left guard, Price at center, Miller at right guard, oh god, please no, at right tackle. Uh, I, I like that. That we, yeah. we can't even say his name. Um, so. You know, I'm looking at other, uh, I'm seeing a lot of talk of West, Westerman and, and uh, Michael Jordan. And I think that that's probably where we, we want to go to next on this topic and, and maybe how we tie a bow on this. We've talked so much this offseason about what's this offensive line going to look like. And now we have to, we, we continue to revisit this conversation because of what happened to Jonah Williams, what is now occurring with Clint Bowling. So, we need to keep talking about what's this going to look like? How are these guys going to fare? Just incl. I guess i kind of a two part question. Who do you think steps in at left guard and who is the best option at left guard for the team at this point? I think
2: right now it's technically a three horse race between Westerman, Jerry and and Hopkins. I remember reading on bangles.com that Hopkins was getting like the second team looks behind Westerman towards the latter part of, camp and TAs, but um, Jerry's the one guy that has played under Jim Turner before and I think that he like he's you want to talk about like a one like life comes at you fast in the NFL in good ways and bad ways and for, for Jerry it was definitely a good way because last this time last season he was still looking for a team to, to play for he watched the entire 2018 season on his couch next thing you know he gets a call from the Bengals goes from a potential camp body to a potential starter So that's that's, that's going from zero to 100 real quick for John Jerry. And I don't think that we can necessarily count him out yet. And because of that, I would give him pretty equal odds along with a guy like Westerman and Hopkins. But I think Westerman's their their clear best option there because of what we've seen from him. He's still pretty young at 26 years old. Again, only 183 snaps, but most of them have been high quality. Don't know exactly what Jerry's going to be like now after sitting down for a whole year. And even at his peak, he was still like an average player at best. And me personally, I prefer Hopkins at center more than guard, which is kind of kind of rare for for anyone to say about an interior lineman. But I think Western is definitely the best option, and he's going to get the first crack at it. But I definitely wouldn't count out a guy like Jerry or even Hopkins either, because he's back and he's obviously you know in good faith with the organization as well.
1: For me, this situation is going to be one of the first true. Signals. Well, maybe not first true signals, but it is going to be a a true signal to show us just how much different Zach Taylor is from Marvin Lewis. Uh, You mentioned John Jerry. There's the comfort level there. He's the veteran. He's played a lot of games in the NFL. That is a Marvin Lewis guy. Let's get the guy that we know. Let's have him be a band-aid there. And... Continue to let a guy like Westerman rot on the bench. Let Jordan develop. To me, I think your best move is probably to play Westerman. Maybe I, I might, I am almost of the preference to play Michael Jordan. Uh, he's young, really. Yeah, you know, he's young. Uh, I, there's probably a lot of work to do there, but you drafted him for a reason. You like him for a reason. He's athletic. He. He will be playing next to a guy he played with in college for a, a couple of years or a year at least uh, in Billy Price. So I don't know. I, I'm I guess I'm just kind of I'm high on that kid and I'm curious to see what he will do in the NFL. But to me, that's the situation. Is it? Are you going to go the old school Marvin Lewis Mike Brown route? Go John Jerry. And and stick with the veteran, or are you going to let these young guys play the guys who haven't had a lot of chances, or the rookie in Jordan? Um, to me, I, I think you have to go with the young guys, and you have to you have to figure out, especially in this first year, where the leash will have a little more room on Zach Taylor, as opposed to a year or two down the road when he has to figure out. You know, it, you got to start figuring this stuff out. You got to figure out who's going to stay here. Someone said it in the in the live YouTube chat. You have to figure out who's going to stay here for the long term now, uh, yeah. and, and especially at that position. And to me, uh, you know, didn't they move up to draft Jordan? Or didn't didn't they? Yeah, trade, they trade picks to move up to him, so they obviously liked him. Uh, you know, I I think he's young. I think there's a lot of development still to be had there. But you want to talk about development? But like
2: they were talking about, like how they, I, I think they view him long term as a center. And they were like saying that they were going to keep him at center so he can focus on snapping, which like he was still having trouble snapping the ball, which is like, okay, this is Billy Price 2.0. But he can traffic another center from Ohio State, and he can't necessarily snap out a shotgun or whatever. But Jordan would, Jordan would definitely be interesting there. I do agree, though, that he's extremely raw and probably not ready to start just yet. But I like him more as a guard than a center based off the film that we saw from Ohio State. And if they end up giving him backup reps a guard, while that competition is still going on, I think that would be best for him. Unfortunately, I think he's only going to stay as center, which I don't think would be good for him and the type of player that he is.
1: Yeah, there's one last quick spot on this. Um, and I, I we received a text on it earlier today, I think. And um, I think it was from Dan in Tennessee. And then there's another uh, another commenter in the live YouTube chat, Chance White kind of talking about Dalton and how this, whole, uh, how this whole thing affects Dalton, how the offensive line play will affect Dalton. Do you see that, you know, th- there might be some slight improvements on this line depending on how you look at it. If Billy Price plays at a higher level, um, you know, you, you improve right guard play, maybe in whatever possibility, Bobby Hart improves play. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but... It, Basically, Dalton has been behind a, a pretty poor line, like you said in 2016 and 2017, especially. It was it was not that great last year either. So now you lose two of your best offensive linemen. Do you see Dalton playing at more of the same level? Do you see it? How do you see this affecting him? Well, I, I, for me, it's, it's not necessarily as much
2: Dalton as it is for Zach Taylor because over the past couple years when the offensive line hasn't been that good, I think we've seen some slight growth from Dalton to be able to kind of do things on his own when the protection breaks down, just because just from experience and just having to deal with it constantly. The thing that hasn't improved, I think, from a play caller's perspective is how to scheme around it and happen to try to take, you know, try to not like, not make it as big of an issue as it is. And I think that's going to be completely on Brian Callahan and Zach Taylor to try to scheme around, a subaverage offensive line because the thing with the McVay system is that it's built first and foremost off of, fa- of a fantastic offensive line. We haven't seen it under some piss poor conditions. Like we could see it in, in Cincinnati. So the amount of play action usage, the amount of rollouts, the amount of moving pockets, the, just, the more that they can do to try to min- mitigate this potential problem, the better. And I think that's more on Zach Taylor and I guess his relationship with Andy Dalton and, to, and to what input Dalton could have in, in alleviating the problem in itself, but I think at this point we we, we kind of know who Dalton is up against. You know, immense amount of pressure, and he's probably not going to be better than what he is right now. But it, it's it's more passable than it was early on in his career. And I think the the main spot that needs to be needs to go on Taylor and Callahan, and, and that duo kind of mitigating
1: around the problem and try to not make it as big of an issue as this. Totally agree on the Taylor effect. I just wonder if. This is now an embedded excuse for more – if Dalton stays at that mediocre, maybe into the above-average-ish area, um, I just wonder if this is an embedded excuse by the club that says, you know, well, we lost two of our top offensive linemen last year, blah, blah, blah. We'll have to see long season ahead still. But it's coming up on us quickly. Training camp is just a couple of weeks away. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We appreciate you joining us on a different day and time this week. uh, We kind of switched the schedule around, and I have to publicly thank John. I've really jerked him around with the scheduling lately. So uh, I appreciate his flexibility Um, and, of course, that of all of our listeners. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. On megaphone, you can get all of our material on cincyjungle.com. And then you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and get our videos there where you can, uh, in case you haven't had the pleasure of seeing Randall yet, you'll be able to see, see, <laughs> see what he's all about.
3: Support for this show comes from Sylvan learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team.
1: John, we've for the past couple of episodes, we have done the potential Bengals potential breakout players. Let me try that again. We have been doing 2019 potential Bengals breakout players, and so far, I believe I have. Uh, I, I had Billy Price last week. I know, and um, you had last week Alex Erickson. Correct? Yes. And your other, remind me again, was Samuel Hubbard. Okay, that's right. And I am trying to remember who I had for my first one there. Um, that was it's... Jermaine Pratt. Thank you. That's right. Uh, I knew I, I knew I keep you around for for a good reason, my friend. Um, so yes, Jermaine Pratt and Billy Price for me. Sam Hubbard and Alex Erickson for you. So we could either shape this around the news of Clint Bowling coming, you know, that, that came out this week, or obviously you have free reign to choose whoever you want, my friend, but uh, who is another potential Bengals breakout player for you in 2019? Christian West. I mean, I'm just kidding. I mean, he's probably a breakout player, but I'll, for the sake of doing something
2: different, I was thinking of Darius Phillips hmm. and a there's some logic against it, I guess, because of how crowded that cornerback room is right now, because you brought back West Denard, you brought in B.W. Webb on a multi-year extension, the guy who's familiar with Lou Anarumo and his scheme and his coaching abilities. So you have to figure, like the wide receiver room, the top four are set, and that kind of leaves Darius Phillips in some sort of weird purgatory for in terms of what his long-term potential and impact could be because now he's competing with guys like Devontae Harris, who was drafted along with him last year in the fifth round, Jordan Brown, he's a new guy there. And then you, got, you have to figure he's probably in that group of who's going to brown out that room and whether they keep you know five, six, or seven of those guys. But I, I like what Phillips showed last year. And I think the amount of playing time that he got amidst the injuries that you know Dennard had towards the middle of the season, I think that was crucial for him and, and his growth and development because for start starting off, he was really shaky, more of a tackler than a cover, than, not a guy that you would trust in man to man situations. But I look back to his college state. I just like watched like randomly the other day. And I, I forgot about how much of a ball magnet this guy was. And I think he was a former receiver at Western Michigan, similar to a guy like Jordan Brown, just the guy that got hands on a lot of, a, a lot of balls. And he was more of a boundary corner in, in Western Michigan up against, you know, obviously smaller competition, but like the guy just has ball skills. And I think that's, something that obviously you are very adamant on the Bengals lacking in the secondary. And it's an asset that I think that he can provide. And, you know, for cornerbacks, it, it takes him a while to kind of get into a groove in the league and kind of find themselves. But I think not only as a cornerback, but also a returner is something that he was very underutilized last year because they kind of just played it safe with Alex Erickson. But I think there's potential with him just being a more explosive option as a returner. And I think having that in his back pocket should give him an advantage to not only make the final roster, but to be active on game days and potentially make an impact as a cornerback. So you have two guys in the slot that you're comfortable with in Dennard and Webb. And I think it gives uh, Phillips more of a chance to be who, who he was best at in college as sort of a ba- boundary corner and gives him an option behind a, a William Jackson or a Drake or Patrick. If God forbid one of those guys goes down, and his ability to you know play off coverage at a high level, read quarterback's eyes, and just find the ball, which is something that Bengals cornerbacks have had such a difficult issue doing. So <clears throat> it may not happen in 2019, but I think th- this is a good chance for him to really establish himself as a, a true boundary corner and someone who's more than just a sure tackle, but a, a guy who can cover, who can cover and bump and run situations, but also can be an explosive return guy. So Darius Phillips is my guy this week. So
1: do you see him with your emergence of, with with your nomination of Alex Erickson? And then now you're nominating Darius Phillips. Do you do you are you saying that you see Alex Erickson because of a potential increased role on offense? You maybe see a way in for Darius Phillips to be yes. a, to be a, a, an effective return man. You know, no more Adam Jones. All these other guys are gone. Maybe Alex Erickson. They don't want him getting injured on return opportunities because he's going to be valuable on offense, do you see then that's the door that Darius Phillips walks into to be a, an effective player for this team this year?
2: Yeah, it's kind of like the cause and effect thing. Like If, if Erickson's more used on offense, they're less likely to use him more as a return man, but he's always a solid one to kind of fall back on if you know Phillips suffers an injury or, or, or just whatever. If they just need a solid return from the punter or, or kickoff unit, Erickson's probably your guy. But to have Phillips, who, again, would be the fifth or sixth cornerback, there's less risk with him getting hurt in, the, in those situations, but there's potentially a greater reward because he's just a more of an explosive athlete. And honestly, in college, he was really damn good at it. And why I was so confident that he was going to take that job, but eventually, you know, Marvin Lewis, stick with, it, stick with the guy you know more than the guy you don't. So he never really got that chance. But I do think that, you know, if Erickson is more involved in offense and is asked to play more snaps there, he's less liable or less likely to be more of a prominent kick return man, which then gives Darius Phillips more of an opportunity there.
1: Yep. Good choice there. I also was tempted to go with offensive line this week because of all this news. Maybe, I mean, that could, that could happen, but I went with offensive line last time and uh, you know, I I still think there's just a lot of murkiness there. So it's hard to just go out on a limb and, and, and choose somebody else there. But I'm going to – and I'm probably going to catch hell for this from our listeners or whoever else, but oh well. I'm going to go with Drew Sample. Uh, I think that Drew Sample is going to be a movable piece in this offense. I think he's going to be a guy that helps out with blocking. I think he's going to be a security blanket for Andy Dalton, and I think now with blocking – potentially being even more of an issue with Clint Bowling. I think there's going to be a lot of short passes to a guy like Drew Sample. I think he may line up at H-back. I think he can help out in the run game. I think he's just going to be a Swiss Army knife type of guy. And I think he's going to do it better and probably become the guy that the team wanted Ryan Hewitt to be when they tried to use him. Ryan Hewitt was an H-back and tight end in college at Stanford and the Bengals tried to use him. They valued him as a blocker. I mean, he was basically playing a fullback type of position at at six foot five. Um, and then they, they signed him to a pretty lucrative contract. And then they never gave him the ball. So mm-hmm. uh, and then they ended up cutting him, which, you know, that whole sequence of events was very odd to me. But I think that this kid with these offensive minds now in Cincinnati, I think that that's who this kid is going to become. I think he will help out as a blocker in the run game. I think he will help out as maybe a chip tight end, you know, a block chip, go off and get a short route and a catch. I think he will move the chains. I think his role will also be very important because we don't know the what the health will be with Tyler Eifert and not only in terms of if he'll stay healthy the entire year, but if the Bengals will have him on a pitch count type of thing, and if he'll only become a niche player because he continues to get hurt. So, you know, maybe sample is a guy who is a little bit more to use a football term, the, a between the twenties type of guy. uh, Whereas Eifert is more of the red zone so maybe Eifert gets gets a little bit more love and and the, the big plays for touchdowns, but I think this kid will move the chains. I think he will be a critical third down option. I think he's going to be, like I said, a security blanket for for Andy Dalton as blocking potentially becomes an issue, and as I, I think you'll see him have an impact right away because, like I said, he's going to be a guy that'll do these short routes, little dump offs, that sort of thing and this offense is going to be trying to find the rhythm in a new system with new coaches and a lot of new players on it. I think Drew Sample has the ability to become a potential breakout player. I'm not saying he's going to be a Pro Bowl guy, but I think we're going to sit here. We may we may look – we may in November look back to April and say, man, we really bitched about this guy being a draft pick, and now look at him. Uh, I think that's obviously the hope. I don't guarantee it, but I could see this guy having a decent niche in the offense. I call it a dumb coincidence, but if the Bengals are going to make a risky draft pick, it might
2: as well be in the second round because you just see the most success there. Now, Sands, you know, long-term, Jeremy Hill, and God bless him, Jake Fisher. Like you know, they they just had dumb luck there. They, they, they've just had the opportunity to draft guys who can contribute immediately, whether it be Joe Mixon on offense or Jesse Bates starting at safety, but. Sample's going to get the the snaps required to to see what type of player they have in year one. And I think just who he is is more important than who he isn't in in terms of what impact that he can make. And that's just a very good blocker, very good athlete for his size. And when he's been targeted in in offense and has had accurate balls thrown to him, he's been able to make an impact as a receiver. So I think he's going to have a chance to prove to be a better player than what many of us thought he was. I still... I'm not entirely comfortable drafting him in the second round because I think there were just better tight ends available before he was drafted. But for what he's going to be asked to do and what potential impact he can have with, you know, a tight end room that's led by Tyler Eifert, I think there's a definite chance for a better justification of that pick. And just for, for their history of what they had in the second round, it's probably not the worst possible case scenario that we could have asked for, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think I think the optimist in me says – he didn't get enough opportunities in college to to, and that affected his statistics. And then you have to look at the fact that this is a guy that they feel fits their scheme. And they feel that what he brings, be it as a blocker, be it a, as a movable piece, they think that he can be effective in, in a variety of different ways. And obviously he's, he's, for all of the bad news that has recently come uh, the Bengals' way, especially on offense, he has been the <laughs> guy that has been good news uh, has, has been giving everybody good news based on his performances in camp hopefully he stays healthy and the and the team can use him in an, in effective ways we're we're going to get out of here but before we do i have to remind you to get the show how you can itunes stitcher spotify google play you can get it on megaphone you can get it on youtube and since we appreciate the support subscribe to our channels and get all of our programming, how you can, John, any final thoughts before we cruise on out of here? Uh, Randall, you got anything? No, <laughs> no, I think we're good. We're good. Do, I, do I see a fireplace in your new digs there? Is that, is that what that no, is?
2: It's not, it's not entirely real or practical in any sense of the word. We have like three fig chimneys in this house and it's all for, it's all for show.
1: I, I can just picture you in like a, a robe with like a glass of wine, just talking bangles. Probably, probably letting, fire, probably letting the fire roar in the background, just really. It would probably be like a liquor in there. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be more of a, be more of an evil, Kong- like a little cat, yeah, cognac or something, yeah, something like that. <laughs> well, uh, welcome, Randall, and thanks, John, for for being flexible this week. And enjoy your trip, my friend. Uh, and we'll we'll catch up with you next week. As, you I'm as well, sure man. yeah, I, thanks. I, I'm sure there'll probably be some more news that. Occurs that we uh, will need to cover, as is mm-hmm. usually the case with the Bengals. And when we do return, I think we're a few days, if not maybe a week, away from training camp. At that point, so uh, we we will have quite a bit to talk about next next week's episode. And um, yeah, so but to all of our listeners, we do have a number of different uh, items on our, our channels in terms of listener questions and our show and, and all kinds of different things. So I think we'll be, I've, I've kind of teased this a little bit aside from bringing on guests, it, especially during training camp and whatnot, we'll be doing kind of some fantasy football stuff, some news and notes stuff. We're going to try, John is going to be at training camp. So we'll probably get the, um, you know, the bird's eye view there from the horse's mouth and, uh, you know, we'll, 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 talk about that. So, uh, keep it to our channel, subscribe how you can. Thanks for joining us with the schedule switch. We'll see you next, next time. This has been the orange and black insider.